The Hamlet Podcast, episode 110. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. Last time, we ended with a frantic Gertrude wondering what Hamlet could be looking at and talking to. As far as she can see, there's nothing there and Hamlet is raving. He has been bending his eye on vacancy and she's begging him to tell her, where on do you look? Hamlet is as passionate in reply. On him, on him. Look you, how pale he glares. His form and cause conjoined, preaching to stones would make them capable. Do not look upon me, lest with this piteous action you convert my stern effects. Then what I have to do will want true colour, tears perchance for blood. Alarming as it may be for Gertrude to be thinking that Hamlet is talking to shadows or to thin air, it is even more horrifying for Hamlet, since he's seeing the ghost and realising that Gertrude cannot. On him, on him, he cries, pointing him out. Look you, how can she not see him, since, after all, everyone else in the theatre can? How palely and coldly the ghost is glaring at him. Hamlet suggests that the combination of the ghost's appearance and his reason for being here, his form and cause conjoined, is so moving, so darkly inspiring, that if he were to command the castle stones to move, they could do so. His form and cause conjoined, preaching to stones, would make them capable. But Gertrude can't see anything. Hamlet speaks to the ghost, alarmed, and can't take much more of its haunting face. Do not look upon me, he says, lest with this piteous action you convert my stern effects. Hamlet is worried that this pale glare will so move him that he will feel pity instead of the anger needed to accomplish his stern effects, the result of what the ghost is reminding him to do, his almost blunted purpose. If Hamlet feels too much sadness or pity now, then what he has to do, avenge his father, will want true colour tears perchance for blood. He's concerned that all this emotion will lead to tears instead of blood being shed. Again, keep in mind that Gertrude has no idea who Hamlet can be talking to, all the more alarming since he's now talking about stern effects and blood. She's already had to cry for help once in this scene. Will she have to do so again? Cautiously, she asks who Hamlet might be talking to. To whom do you speak this? Hamlet is still dismayed and asks, Do you see nothing there? Can she really not be seeing him? Gertrude replies, Nothing at all, yet all that is, I see. She's saying, I can see nothing that would explain all of this, but I can see everything that is in this room. Hamlet tries a different approach. Maybe the ghost is invisible to her, but Gertrude also has ears. He asks, nor did you nothing hear. She is adamant. She saw nothing. She heard nothing. No, nothing but ourselves. Now, we have made it this far into this exploration of the play, with attention focused mostly on the second quarto and the first folio texts of Hamlet. Another document in the history of Hamlet is a play called Fratricide Punished, a German text that is believed to have been written from memory, but the memory of which version of Hamlet we do not really know. 
It has been translated into English and has been the subject of extensive commentary elsewhere, but is worth mentioning here for one little nugget that it contains that other versions don't. With all this discussion of nothing from Gertrude, Hamlet snaps, Indeed, I believe you see nothing, for you are no longer worthy to look upon his form. Obviously, this sounds rather like you'd expect diluted Shakespeare to sound, translated from German from the memories of a performer and then translated back into English, but the idea of the line is quite interesting. Before Hamlet can decide whether to pursue the issue or not, that his mother is not even worthy of seeing the ghost, or indeed whether the line is in the play or not, the ghost himself makes to exit. One last time, Hamlet tries to get Gertrude to see. Why, look you there, look how it steals away. My father, in his habit as he lived. Look where he goes, even now, out at the portal. Look, he's saying, look how the ghost is stealing away. My father, and he describes him, in his habit as he lived, dressed as he would have done while he was alive. A curious stage direction accompanies the ghost's entrance in some versions of this scene, the suggestion that he is wearing a nightgown. This is a specific contrast with his appearance in Act 1, where Shakespeare makes such a point of describing all of his armour. Here, there's room for a more intimate appearance, since after all the ghost is showing up in Gertrude's private quarters, rather than on the castle battlements. It's interesting that Shakespeare builds descriptions into the very lines spoken, not only is Hamlet specifying that the ghost is dressed in familiar and recognisable clothes belonging to his father, perhaps a description designed to convince the unseeing Gertrude, but he also describes how the ghost walks out at the portal. There's no stage trickery, there's no trapdoor in use, no flying or any kind of hocus-pocus for the ghost's disappearance. Hamlet simply watches his father walk away through the door. And with that, we never see him again. As Gertrude watches her son watching and describing this ghost of her dead husband as it departs the room, Gertrude is understandably eager to explain all of this away. And she says to poor Hamlet, This is the very coinage of your brain. This bodiless creation ecstasy is very cunning in. This whole situation, she's saying, is something that your brain has fabricated like a new word that has been coined, or actual money being minted in the heated pressure of a forge. Hamlet is so stressed and frantic that it's understandable he might start seeing things. This bodiless creation, ecstasy is very cunning in. Now the word order here is a little unhelpful, but what Gertrude is saying is that madness, or ecstasy, is very capable of conjuring up bodiless creations, things we think we are seeing that aren't really there. But to Hamlet, obviously, the ghost was very much there. He is not about to let his mother explain away this very real encounter by attributing it to his ecstasy or madness, since, as he told us much earlier, he is only pretending to be mad. He is about to make a very sincere plea to Gertrude, but it's quite a long piece of text, so we'll save it for the next episode. As ever, thank you for listening, and particular thanks to those troopers among you who have tuned in so much that the Hamlet podcast made your end-of-year lists on Spotify and other platforms. Do be sure to check out the website for the show notes, which this week will include further information about ecstasy and, indeed, fratricide punished. Hours, or at least minutes, of happy reading. I'll speak to you next time.